tuned in to In a Flash, the latest show from around the lens that focuses on the news related to the world of photography in our career field. I'm David J. Murphy. And I'm Travis Keyes. And we're going to bring you up to speed on the latest news from the world of photography and filmmaking, photojournalism, visual journalism, and all that from the last week or so. Before we begin, please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, favorite, befriend, comment, and share the show. And go to around the lens. And hit that bell for new notifications. Indeed, indeed, of course. You got to hit the bell. Oh, wait, wait. I need to say you need to stab the like button, crush the like button, um, demolish the subscribe button, right? That's what they like now. That's it's trending. all about finding out when we're releasing the new content. And go to aroundthelens.com for more info about other shows we have in the works that touch on the news, topics, and gear related to our career fields. And let's jump right into the news. First off, Apple has released their new M1 chip, which is uh, going to be in their Mac Mini, their MacBook Pro, and also their MacBook Air. Just in 13-inch versions for now in both of those. But it seems very exciting, and there's a lot of hype about this new chipset uh, since they've dropped Intel, which is uh, first time ever for them. So this uh, is an exciting yeah. new thing. What do you think about this news, David? Yeah, I'm excited. I actually just published a video about this, uh, my next last latest video commentary, actually, which you can find on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash around the lens. <laughs> so go check that out. But yeah, you know, spoiler alert, I, I love these new chips and these new computers. And the the sort of thing I recommended people do is, you know, if they're if they're a, you know, someone who wants to have like their nice editing suite at home, you know, get the Mac Mini because that's going to give you the power and the cooling. If you're an on-the-go type person, which in this COVID environment, I don't know who is, but if you are, you know, and you're like high-level, you know, video editor guy, get the MacBook Pro. If you're more a photographer who shoots video on occasion, maybe you're a working visual journalist, get the, the MacBook Air. That's a, But, I mean, all three are very highly capable machines and I'm really excited to see, you know, not only this, um, these innovations right now, but where Apple takes this in the future. I certainly think with the several, several couple hundred dollars difference, I would skip the MacBook Air entirely okay. and go straight to the MacBook yeah. Pro. Uh, it seems like you're getting a lot more in that in that device. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now, you're sort of an early adopter because thing, yeah. uh, you know, there's only certain programs have been customized and retrofitted to kind of uh, maximize on the new M1 chip, especially, uh, I believe it's, uh, what's that, their editing uh, final cut is right. actually revamped and actually seems to work much faster. Uh, so it's exciting once uh, Adobe has uh, kind of entered the foray, and I know they're working on it, but no, who knows how long it'll take mm -hmm. once they kind of revamp uh, Photoshop and Lightroom for the M1 chip. I know people that are using the, the computer right now and say the battery life is incredible yeah. on it, and it's really you know extended their play, and a lot of stuff they're doing is working really well. So I think it's a little early to jump in for a lot of the stuff we're doing, but I think this chip is the first generation of what is going to be a very, very exciting road for Apple and uh, and a lot of competition for Intel. Yeah, you know, nothing hurts to wait. I mean, they'll the eventually come out with the M1X and the M2 and, and M3 and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, there will always be something better. And when it comes out in the 15-inch, too. Yeah. yeah the 15-inch, mm -hmm. I think, is going to be important. Yeah, it'll yeah. be. Uh, but this is exciting. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, again, like you said, the 15-inch, 16-inch, uh, the Mac Pro, the iMac, I mean, the, all the different categories that Apple has – and if they, you know, increase it to 12 core, 16 core, it's just going to be that much more powerful and capable of a machine. And, yeah. you know, like I said, if, if you're getting it now, like if, if I were using, like I've got my, my MacBook, right, my 15 inch from like 2014. And if this were my only computer, have I not already invested 
a couple thousand dollars into my desktop machine. Probably the Mac Mini would be, the again, the, the system for me because I like to just be at home and do my editing when I'm comfortable in my own editing workstation. But, yeah, again, th these are beautiful machines, and you can't go wrong if you get them right now. I know you're a PC user, but... I am a PC, and that you bring up a good point just by, by saying you're a PC user. The, the one thing I think that uh, is very important for us to discuss is, is if you are going to invest in the Apple... Uh, put as much money as you can to get the best you can right. because you will not be able to nope. upgrade the RAM nope. and certain aspects on this. So mm -hmm. it's a buy once, that is it kind of deal. Yeah. So if you want to wait a little, put the extra money into you know maxing out what you can on the specs on this computer because it's going to make all the difference in the world and uh, you won't be able to do it in the future. Yeah, and you know, that's absolutely true. I mean, there's no upgradability at any of these machines. And that's by design, of course, because you know that's their whole stick with the M1 is take all the components and put it onto one essential system on a chip, right? Your Mac, your, I'm sorry, your RAM, your, your hard drive space, everything you put on one thing and it makes it that much faster. And that's why we're getting such the, the crazy performance output with such an inexpensive setup. So yeah, it's great to see. Yeah. And you're, you're on a, on a Mac yourself, right? I, you are using both systems. I, Cause I know I use a PC mm -hmm. as my main system uh, for editing and stuff yeah. like that. And, uh, but I am also in the Apple ecosystem mm -hmm. with the 12 pro max uh, iPhone and my iPad pro and uh, you know, my iWatch and all that stuff. Yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm completely ambidextrous. I don't have any sort of allegiance to any brand I've got, you know, for this show we're doing right now, I'm using my MacBook. I have my iPad to my left here and that's how I'm connecting with my computer or my camera. And then, of course, my editing workstation is a you know desktop PC with a 2080 Ti and all that, the whiz bang stuff and and whatnot. But I'm really impressed with how well the M1 can do video editing and exporting. I really, if I can do smooth and seamless 8K video editing for my R5 with it, then I mean that's the dream right there, right? And I mean, I don't know yeah, if I'm going to upgrade yeah. right now, but you know, definitely when I choose to do that, I'll know that hey, there's this machine that can easily handle. You know 8k footage yeah because right now are you are you a final cut user i am not i am a da vinci user oh, okay. i i like that system ah, okay but i have seen because certainly final cut has been optimized for that m chip so you could dive right into it right away yeah that's amazing i mean honestly seeing people review it and talking about how well it works has made me consider final cut but again i use a pc ecosystem primarily for my yeah. editing and i actually just purchased the da vinci resolve like they have a a new editing console thing for like $300. Oh, did you get that? I did get that because it came with, well, oh, I wasn't going to get it. I'll be honest. I was like, eh, I don't, I can use the keyboard and mouse just fine. But when I went to go buy it from B&H and I also wanted to buy the DaVinci Resolve 17 editing suite, right? Because I figure, you know, hey, get the new editing suite right when it comes out, right? When I put it both in my cart, I realized you get essentially the console the for free or you get the editing software for free because both are $300 and they take off the editing software cost. So you're getting essentially the console. And for let's free. be honest, any shortcut to shorten your time in editing is well worth it. Oh yeah. It. Yeah. No, I'm excited to try it out and I'm sure it'll be a learning curve, but I know once I get used to it, I'll just be flying through footage. Yeah. What's our next story, Dave? Well, in the world of guns and lawsuits, you may remember the iconic and viral photos of Mark and Patricia McCloskey, who were seen outside their home by the world brandishing firearms at peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters who were walking through their private neighborhood. But again, they were just walking through the neighborhood past their house. And again, they felt the need. They felt scared or whatever. And they wanted to have their guns out. And of course, we all know 
you know, not, let's just say Miss McCloskey was not the, the most, um, how do I say, uh, sensitive with regard to where she pointed or how she held her weapon. Weapon. Diplomatic. Di- discipline, <laughs> I believe, is the, you know, trigger discipline, I believe, is the, the word I'm looking for there. Anyways, well, this photo was captured by a United Press International photographer, Bill Greenblatt, and he wasn't happy when he found out the McCloskeys were using his photo in greeting cards. So he sent them, and they, these were cards that they were, you know, making for themselves privately to probably send to their friends and family for the holidays, right? Like we all do our Christmas card, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so he sent the McCloskeys an invoice for the use of his photos. I think it was for like $1,500 or something like that. And they decided to countersue, saying that Greenblatt had essentially entered their private property, trespassed, you know, and, the, and by taking their photos, they caused them humiliation. And essentially, they're asking for ownership of the photo. Uh, they're also suing UPI and Redbubble, uh, which has McCloskey-themed merchandise for sale. So this is a you know an interesting case. I don't see it going the way they think they do, but it does obviously you know garner more attention for this story and and for the photographer. What what are your thoughts on this, Travis? You think this case is going anywhere? Uh, this is a sticky, sticky situation all around. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know it's. Uh, Everybody is always trying to make a profit off of somebody, you yeah. know, and uh, you know, I, it's terrible when uh, people that uh, are not up to good things are trying to profit off of things. Yeah. And I, I just, uh, this is, uh, I don't like this story yeah. all around. <laughs> well, you know, I, I admire what Greenblatt was trying to do, right? Because he didn't like the McCloskeys Absolutely. using their photo, his photograph, you know, without his permission. Yeah. But you know, it goes to image ownership, right? So, like, was he shooting this mm-hmm. as a staffer for UPI? Was he a freelancer for UPI? Did he actually own the rights to the image? And even still, I think, you know, I think there's a point where you're poking the bear, right? Especially since McCloskey's are lawyers, right? So I, I, I never yeah. want to mess with lawyers, personally, because they know exactly what to do, and they know how to use the law in their favor. And I don't think they're going to get copyright control. I don't think, I think that's a bridge too far, because that would set a, an awful precedent but I think this is going to be something that, you know, is going to mess with Greenblatt for sure, you know, in terms of his life and his, um, you know, and it's like, you know, I know as a working photographer, photojournalist, you're not making tons of dough. So to have to go and fight and defend a case, ugh, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be in his position, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm interested in following up and seeing where this goes. Uh, it's going to be interesting, the outcome of this, or if it just uh, kind of goes away. Yeah, I hope it honestly gets thrown out or that they you know, come to a settlement or something like that. Because um, I just, you know, with like the Redbubble stuff, you know, that's probably something where people took the image and you know, just put it on Redbubble because I believe anyone can push or publish anything on Redbubble. I'm not totally up to speed on how their business practice works, but I think that's something where... You know, Redbubble will probably be protected by maybe like DMCA or whatever they do um, yeah. for themselves. Because obviously, yeah, if you're selling merchandise with somebody's photograph you took, you know, in an editorial context, that's not allowed. And I don't think Greenblatt had anything to do with that, nor did UPI. But, you know, hopefully UPI has got Greenblatt's back in this case and they'll, you know, go to bat for him and provide him some kind of, you know, legal support if indeed it does actually go to the case. But, yeah. Yeah, you know, but ultimately, I don't think this will help, you know, McCloskey's uh, make this image go away any sooner. You know, I mean, right now I can search on Google McCloskey's. This is the first thing that shows up. So, you know, this is definitely going to raise that sh- uh, photo and make it that much more viral. So speaking of, Google is in the news again. Oh. And uh, that, that you bring up Google and searching, one of the greatest benefits that uh, I used for Google was they used to let you store all your images, high quality mm. or not, for yeah. free. 
but uh, just for using yeah. Google. Well, they've changed that decision, and now as of June 1st, 2021, they are going to be charging oh my you. Gosh. So everything you had there to this point is going to be fine. But going forward, you're going to be, you know, they're going to be storage caps. And uh, for me, that's that's kind of scary because I have, you know, an A7R4 and you have a camera that, oh mm. boy, does it eat up a lot of memory yeah. card if you use it properly. Oh, yeah. uh, so what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, th I think this is pretty uh, sucky, honestly, uh, in, in <laughs> you know, the, the royal, the Queen's English there. Um, <laughs> yeah, the high quality image compression that you know, Google used to store these, obviously it's like JPEG, right? So you're you know, you're losing probably a little bit of detail, but ultimately it wasn't noticeable and it was never my primary backup source, but it's always nice to have, you know, as many backup sources as you can have. I think like we always recommend three, right? Offsite, on site, and in yeah. the cloud. And so this was just another cloud storage. I also use Amazon and they have unlimited storage mm -hmm. if you pay for their Amazon Prime. Membership. Amazon Prime. Yeah, right? yeah it's a great yeah. service and you can store RAWs and stuff like that. So that is my primary backup in the cloud resource. Mm -hmm. And this was just a secondary one. You know, also back up all my phone photos and whatnot. But you no, know, this is really just, I mean, I get why they're doing it, right? You know, more and more people have photos. I'm sure they're looking at their data usage rates. And, excuse me, each year it probably just goes up when you have like Samsung releasing their 108 megapixel cameras and stuff like that. So I think they see the writing on the wall and it's just going to get harder and harder for them to manage all of that data. So they're, yeah. yeah, they're doing, you know, what they have to do. And I think they said in their press release, it's like this only affects, I think like five to 10% of their entire user base. I think the majority of people who use their service probably won't be able to fill up. I've not taken advantage. Well, they won't They yeah. won't fill up the 15 gigs for years, right? Because, you know, the average person right, shoots a right. few photos on their phone a year, you know, maybe a couple dozen, uh, you know, whatever. And so it's just most people won't be affected by this. It's just us photographers and most probably the people in this community and listening who, you know, may have used their service, you know. It's the people that take advantage of the raw image. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't store the raw image, just a, a compressed JPEG. So it's, you know... Obviously not yeah. your your primary, but it's great for sharing and, and keeping, again, as a secondary backup. What do you use for your backup storage solutions, Travis? It's, uh, you know, I am I am in that rule of three. Mm -hmm. So I have my uh, Synology NAS storage. Nice. I have uh, local hard drives. And then I also do Backblaze. Uh, oh. And uh, I, I have also used different... Uh, I, I used Amazon as well, where I was setting up uh, when I imported from uh, Lightroom. It would actually import to two separate places. Wow. Through OneDrive, I had it direct to uh, the online storage in Amazon and then a local NAS. So it was actually going to two places when I import. Nice, nice. Is that Little NAS? Yeah, yeah. Little NAS Little X. NAS, Little NAS. I know, I know, right? Yeah, I've got I've got the uh, the local storage, you know, multiple hard drives on my machine. Actually, I just ordered a hard drive on Black Friday just because... I tend to back up everything on multiple hard drives because you never know when one's going to crash, and then and it and it will yeah. and it will and it'll be the drive that you don't want to oh crash. <laughs> yeah, what I've been doing over the years is I'll have like smaller, you know, because it's like every year drives get bigger, right? So I'll have my smaller drives. So it all goes all the way back to like twenty years ago when I like a two hundred fifty gigabyte external hard drive, and then it just adds up over time. I just put that hard drive on a bigger hard drive, and that hard drive on a bigger hard drive. It's kind. And is it amazing now that you could buy you know a, a fourteen terabyte drive from say you know Western Digital mm -hmm. or Seagate for you know like three hundred and thirty dollars oh now? It's crazy. I saw an eighteen terabyte it's, external it's, hard drive actually for really? sale. I mean, I wasn't going to wow. get it, but I think it was like four or five hundred dollars. But uh, yeah, I mean that's yeah. just insane. 
When I think that I put eight drives in my Synology mm -hmm. to, and at that time wow. it was 32 terabytes. Wow. And that was insanely yeah. huge that you could buy two fourteen you know two fourteens mm -hmm. now uh, or eighteens you know and and be larger than my synology wow. it's it's incredible what you can do nowadays yeah, actually, I built my own nas um with I, I bought the the drive bay holder it had a four bay holder yep. and then I bought four external i think eight or ten terabyte hard drives and actually ripped them out of their mm -hmm. enclosures and inserted oh yeah, them a lot in, of people are doing that yeah i, I yeah, you know, yeah. I, I know they're not like high intensity drives, right? So I'm probably playing with fire there, yeah. but I did back it up in such a way where it's like a raid. I think raid five, where you use like three of the drives, raid five or six, where it's hot swappable, and you can, if one fails, right. you can pull it out and, and it'll rebuild itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully yeah. I'm covered there, but I don't know. I I don't trust any hard drive for more <laughs> than a year. I have to back it up, and then I have to put it in different locations like i have a drive at my mom's house and a drive at my wife's mom's house so the fire Indeed. safe and underground built yeah exactly yep. in the bunker <laughs> awesome yep. all right well let's go on to our next story the nppa is yep. advocating on behalf of visual journalists in america uh basically in getting ahead of the line when it comes to being delivered the covid vaccine so, you know, of course, they're advocating on behalf of visual journalists saying that essentially, you know, we are essential workers. And the letter goes into mm -hmm. detail with this, saying that visual journalists cannot do their job at home. You know, they require going out and interacting with people. I know I've joked on the show about, let's just send the drone out to go do the shoot. But, of course, we're a little bit, we're a little bit away from that. Anyways, you know, they, they put this letter out and it's signed by, of course, their lawyer and whatnot, you know, the MPPA's lawyer. And so it's trying to give some some weight and, and, and credibility to, to what they're saying here. And the NPPA would like, again, visual journalists categorized as essential workers alongside, you know, folks who are you know, working in the medical field or people who have to go out and yeah. work in retail stores. And this isn't something they made up, right? This is the Department of Homeland Security essentially referring to mm -hmm. all journalists as essential workers. You know, if you create content, create media, even, even podcasters, even little podcasters like us, you know, can be considered essential workers because, you know, we're keeping people informed. And that's a, it's a vital skill. It's a vital asset to people, and especially when people are stuck at home. So currently, the yeah. CDC does not specifically identify visual journalists. So that's what the MPPA is trying to do with this letter. They want them identified, and so they can be one of the first in line to get the, the vaccine. Travis, are, are you in agreement with what the MPPA is doing, or do you think probably they're overreaching here? I don't think they're overreaching in the slightest, actually. Yeah. I, you know, if if you are someone, where's the first place if you want information or you want to find out what's going on in your neighborhood or, right. you know, national level, you're going to turn on the news. Yeah. And it's very important that these people are going out and, and you know, covering these events. In it. And it may be different for, you know, a, a copywriter or, or a journalist who's sitting behind a desk. But, you know, there's plenty of these, you know, photojournalists that are going out and taking photos at hospitals or protests or, you know, uh, national events on the political scene. And it's like, and geez, we certainly know the White House is not uh, a safe place for you know COVID. You know, yeah. it seems more people are catching you know COVID in the White House. So these you know these journalists are, are putting themselves on the front lines for information for us, and I think it's really important to to protect them. And I and and if you're looking at the mass numbers of journalists out there compared to many other industries, there are a lot less journalists out there than many other fields. So we're not talking about a, a very large number to cover in the in this first round of uh, COVID. Uh, vaccines. No, absolutely. I, I, I think it's a small gesture to make to really show that, you know, people and, you know, we respect those people who are out there on the front lines 
giving us the content that we so desperately need when we're stuck indoors or we're stuck isolated yeah. and looking for something on the internet. I was reading the the very, you know, I, I always recommend not doing this, but I was reading the comments on Petapix <laughs> on this story, and it's just the amount of brutal people who are just like, nah, they don't deserve anything. It's like they can get it after my dog gets it or, you know, whatever, you know, that they can be last on the list. Nobody cares about photography. The photography business is, uh, you know, no one cares about it. It's it's a dead art form or whatever. I'm like, oh, my God, these people. Uh, it's it's pretty scary what kind of, you know, people think. I mean, we've had so many people on the show, you know, uh, Evelyn included, you know, just talking about going into protests. And you can't really protect yourself, yeah. you know, when you're in the, the heart of a scrum and you're surrounded by people. I mean, that's... That's dangerous territory, and nobody's, you know, people might be yeah. wearing masks, they might not be wearing masks. I mean, we've seen, I've seen some work from, you know, Zach and others who've, who've shot, you know, like the, the pro-Trump protests and whatnot, where nobody's wearing masks, and you see spittle flying everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's a dangerous situation. There needs to be some protection for people who are out there doing the work that I think many people, you know, under-respect. Um, because if it went away, guess what? You'd notice it, and you would definitely feel that whole... Um, in the sort of news media world it would not be fun yeah yeah um i, I totally agree and let's uh, i guess uh, you know since we're in total agreement let's move on to the next story so nikon has two new camera bodies in the works yeah. and according to nikon that's nikon rumors it's not <laughs> not an official it's not official yet Quote, but, uh, we certainly know that uh yeah but uh these are dslr yeah uh but uh old school dslr now everybody's you know is working on uh you know these brand new mirrorless and and you have canon saying they're not going to make the 5ds anymore and moving on into their mirrorless yeah. world um so when you have these new bodies and what is your feeling on old dslrs versus you know the the the, the new mirrorless system and and nikon you know continuing to carry this on yeah no i'm I'm confused by Nikon. You know, obviously they've been a company yeah. that has had some issues as of late, and I think they've really suffered because they haven't innovated. And this sort of reliance on the DSLR market, even if there is a market for it, I just don't think it's worth putting the time and energy and the, how do you say, the research and development in developing new, not only camera bodies, but also lenses for their old F-mount system. You know, I think they should really yeah. go full force into their Z line. I mean, they just announced their Z6 and Z7 II, Mark II. You know, those will be out, I think, this month in December. So mm -hmm. really, what are they focused on? You know, I, I understand there's probably a huge legacy of people who are still using DSLRs, you know, that still get a lot of value out of their old lenses and, you know, the camera systems. I think, I think the D6 just came out this year. So, you know, there's still... I'm sure there's still a market for the DSLRs, but I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a waste of their time. Yeah. And certainly, you know, there's, there's, there's certainly in the big in the rumor bill, Nikon is in serious trouble financially. Yeah. And, uh, and the future of Nikon is, is, is possibly up in the air. But uh, when you're playing with, you know, kind of that trying to cover all your bases type of thing instead of focusing in it. I think that's one thing Canon actually kind of really said we're going to really put our, our, our minds and strategy behind, you know, the, the, the R5. And I think it was really smart mm -hmm. of them to do that because it seems, you know, they were a little late to the game to get a real, a serious contender in that. Yeah. But boy, you know, now they're, they're kind of pole vaulting in front of many of the other uh, manufacturers and camera makers by putting out such a good product and focusing mainly on that. And also the very exciting lenses and the mount that they, they put on that camera. Oh yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, again, I mean, as, as in dire straits as Nikon seems to be, they are having, you know, they're going to put out eight new Z-mount lenses over the course of the next, yeah. I think, two years. 
So that's going to put their lineup to 24, which I think is, you know, a good, satisfactory lineup of, you know, mirrorless lenses. I mean, we're seeing that with Canon. They're also pushing out new lenses every every year, every few months. They're pushing something else out. So, you know, they're, they're all backing mirrorless, which is great. You know, I think that's just lends more credence and honestly gives Sony that much more like, hey, you were right. You know, you, you had the, the right idea. You know, we should have done mirrorless years ago. You know, mea culpa. It's the old classic Kodak changing with the times, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, it, it, it's very important to stay up and, uh, and, and stay relevant. And, uh, and if people are saying we want this, maybe you should listen. Yeah. Do you think <laughs> it's too late though? Do you think that the, all the other manufacturers chose too late or do you think that this is the right, you know, right amount of time? I never, I never think it's too late for anybody if they really listen and, and they if they see the voids in certain markets and you know if there's a certain camera manufacturer that's making something they're like why don't they put this in the camera and you're the one that you know learns from all the past mistakes and vaults it to a new level and forces other camera manufacturers to take heed and go wow they just leaped us because we weren't listening and they did it uh, so it's you know I mean, look how quickly the R5 is now you know on the list of people's you know the best camera the new you know the new king of the hill uh, it's it's you. Can can show how quickly the tides can change now yeah. you know granted a lot of that goes back and forth very quickly yeah. uh you know just like you know intel and amd chips or you know uh, uh amd and uh you know uh, graphics cards versus you know intel graphics cards you know, it's like you can always you know force one to go back and forth and that's what you need is that healthy comp competition to keep uh people innovating and creating but uh, no it's not it's not too late unless I don't know something about their financials, and it is too late. But it, no, they could they could be back in the game quickly if they do the right thing. No, and you make a great point. It's like I think the innovation we've seen from like Canon, especially where they've gone in just one generation. You know, they went from the R yeah. to the R5, which is leagues and bounds better than their first generation. And I think that's kind of what you get from that late mover advantage, right? Whereas Sony, you know, they mm -hmm. build a new camera system every six months, and they were figuring things out. And they've really only now, in this, you know, last year or so, gotten to a point where their cameras are, you know, this sort of mythical quality with the A7S III and the A7R4 and whatnot and the A9. And now they're kind of getting to their, what they Mark IIs and their Mark Threes and Mark Fours. You're getting to that point where they're now, like, very highly revered, and you have, like, the AP moving to all their Sony stuff. So I think all that sort of, like, hardship, right, Canon and whatnot just bypassed. Nikon, eh, they got a little ways to go. Yeah, but, you know, if, if Canon didn't come out with this stellar R5, I think Sony would have been like, oh, we're, we're doing okay right yeah. now. But I think they see the R5 and go, nope, we need to up the game again mm -hmm. uh, on the next, you know, round. Yeah, no, competition is always a good thing. But uh, one yeah. place competition is not good for, I guess, is photo conferences. And our final story deals with Photokina, the much beleaguered photo trade show and conference, which has decided to put all future shows on hiatus. Oh, this venerable institution. This is it sad. Is sad. It is sad. <laughs> this is sad. Not, this don't go a fake. Oh, it's a real. Oh. I am honestly. It's is anytime you know an institution like this, which has been around since the 1950s. You know, it started out in Cologne, Germany. Uh, you know, anytime an institution like this goes away, it's it's a sad day. You know, it's like saying you know if um, something like the Photo Plus Expo, as much as you know, it's probably been lost in its relevancy, went away. I think we would both be sad if we didn't have that, you know, show to go to and reconvene with people. Yeah. Um, or, you know, Condo, right? If Condo went away, that'd be sad because it's a nice place to reconvene with Sony people. But anyways, yeah. in the last few years, starting in 2017, the show has become an annual event as opposed to twice a year or, I'm sorry, once every other year. And it focused on things besides cameras. So, you know, you can see the kind of shift starting then. You know, there's sort of this, again, 
photography strictly wasn't as big a deal for them or it wasn't again garnering the, t the type of attention or garnering the type of um, excuse me let me try that again <clears throat> yeah and what we saw in 2017 was a shift for the show from purely focusing on cameras and photography to going to more than that and in 2018 they actually canceled the 2019 show to give manufacturers more time to develop their cameras so again the last few years haven't been good for them and manufacturers have actually been moving on themselves and not even appearing at the show. So it, the show continues to lose relevancy. And then it was canceled in 2020 due to COVID, as many things were. And it had the intent of starting up again in 2022. But again, with this latest news, they're, they're basically on hiatus. So who knows when they're yeah. actually going to come back. Do you think they'll come back? And this is... Uh, this is one of the big ones, and the, 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 a lot of people got very excited for this show every year. And uh, you know, our, when it was uh, when it was coming, you know, uh, and this is one of the ones that I never got to go to. Oh, that yeah. uh, I kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll go yeah. next time, uh, and, and never quite made mm -hmm. it. And to hear this news, and this isn't the first one to go through these problems right yeah. now. I mean, obviously, prior to COVID, uh, Photo Expo in New York was having a lot of problems with the you know, big the big companies pulling yeah. out and, and doing their own events and stuff like that, and uh, trying to find uh, you know the they made it too expensive for you know the small ones, and you know you, had, you got these weird you know medical devices at camera shows yeah. now. It's like it, it, things are getting lost, and I think the joy and fun about what it all and the, the kind of money and, and that what it takes to produce change these shows inherently and not only that you throw in covid where everything's going virtual it's like wow things everything just needs to be kind of rethought of and revamped and maybe you know this will cause a rebirth and a, a you know someone to really kind of restructure and rethink these uh, shows and and how they're developed uh, i know certainly right before covid i went to ces and that was probably one of the biggest shows i've been to and just the mass scale yeah. and seeing that and kind of blew me away to see something in multiple mm -hmm. venues and like huge i mean it was just it, it was overwhelming how large this thing was was uh and the money that's poured into it so to see something like that's incredible yeah. but and to lose one of the big photo ones it, it's sad yeah. you know and and photo expo was you know last year was it was very kind of the same thing it's like you know it's underwhelming and kind of you know where's it going so uh, it's we're gonna have to see where the future lies for you know a lot of these expos yeah. now. see yes and in fact most of them well i think most of them have canceled next year as well oh, no that's sad yeah, I was going to say CES was the first super spreader event <laughs> before we even knew COVID was a And thing. I was there. Yeah. And I was there. And I had, who knew? <laughs> do you think you had COVID and got over it? Or do you think it's... No, it was funny because I joke because I got so sick in December. Yeah. Uh, and my brother did too. And, and it was like, it kicked my butt. Oh. And it was all sim very similar symptoms to COVID. Yeah. But I think it's, it was still a little too right. early and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, I, it kind of felt like the early COVID. Yeah, right. <laughs> Have you been tested? Um, I have okay. not. In fact, it's like, you know, a lot of times if I'm doing something like when I got back from, uh, from, I just did a trip out to, uh, Vegas and, uh, Zion and Valley right. of Fire and Utah and, and all of that. Uh, I came back and I basically quarantined, oh, uh, you know, 14 days and, and, and shut myself down. So whether I tested positive or not, I would have had to do the same yeah. thing. And, and, uh, I showed no symptoms in those 14 days and I, you know, hopefully it's all gone and, and there's nothing ever happened of it, but I certainly didn't have any symptoms and, and stayed, stayed, Stayed nice and quiet away from people. That's good. Yeah. Did you take a, was that a road trip, I assume? 
I flew oh. out. I, I flew out, uh, you know, uh, to and I cashed in some uh, JetBlue points, nice. and I, I went to Mint version, which was the, the the isolated little pod, which was great. So I had my own little bed and pod and glass, so it was, you know, no one on either side of me. So that I thought that felt a little safer than uh, sitting next to yeah. people. And then uh, once I got there, I had my own rental car, so it was just me in a rental car, and and it you know little things kind of lined up because when I went to the hotel, they had been closed. Uh, you know, they closed midweek from uh, you know Monday till Wednesday, and I was the first person to check back in my room so that room had been empty and clean for several days nice. you know and so a lot of stuff eating outside so i was very smart on the way i did it uh you know and minimized my exposure as much as possible yeah because i thought when you flew you had to have a negative test before you flew or is that just certain airlines no, it's it's in the in here uh, in America we just don't do things the way uh, the rest of the world is, uh, and in fact you know uh, when the day a couple of days before prior flying out to um, to Vegas, uh, Governor Cuomo announced that if you were going to leave the state or fly that you you within three days prior to your flight or up until your flight you had to have a test on the, the end you were leaving and upon returning four days after otherwise you had to quarantine for fourteen wow. days. And on my flight out, I saw a bunch of National Guard there uh, handing out paperwork and stuff like I do I need this now? Like no, you fill it out on your mm-hmm. way back. And when I flew back. They weren't there, and I think it's because I flew a red eye and was there that early in yeah. the morning. But I just walked through and never did any wow. of it and uh, just self-quarantined myself. Yeah. But uh, So the follow-through on tests and stuff like that is just not happening. But I've seen a lot of the new uh, airlines and stuff like that pop up uh, insta-test in the airport. Wow. There are certain airlines. There, uh, there are certain flights now that you actually go in and you will get tested right there. And if you don't pass, you're not allowed on that flight. Wow. So you know uh, there are a certain amount of flights now that are, are going international that if you're on that flight, every single person has been tested negative for that flight. Otherwise, uh, they, you know, the person that tests negative, they'll help them. They'll, they'll, they'll be, you know, they bring them over to the CDC. They, they tell them their next options, and, uh, and, and it's handled through there. But uh, So that might be the future of the way we're traveling is these insta-tests yeah. and prior getting on airlines, you know, where, you know, now that you – I've gone to restaurants where they have iPads set up, and you look at the iPad, and it tells your, your temperature mm-hmm. right there. And uh, if you pass that, then you can get to go into the restaurant. So I think, uh, you know, just like, you know, when they – you know, one Unabomber uh, – shoe bomber, should I say uh, – came in and changed the way we walk through airports and take off our shoes, now I think uh, COVID might change the way we fly. Yeah, at least – until the vaccine is widely distributed yep. and, and which will probably not be for you know at least a whole but year. I, I, I wouldn't doubt I wouldn't doubt if the, you know you have these temperature checks and stuff like that uh, you know weeding out people that you know have high temperatures going onto sure. planes and stuff like that that might just happen as a as a next uh, yeah. next stage of uh, yeah I mean if they're spending all this money integrating these new processes into their you know boarding thing it's like okay just keep them there you know I mean we've already spent yeah. probably millions of dollars I have to imagine with all the technology and we see that a lot too in South Korea I mean there isn't a place you can't go to where you're not getting your temperature checked or they have a like you said a screen where you look at it and we also have to actually sign in so you have to put your phone number and whatnot I don't do they make you do yeah. that in New York uh, they're starting to do that uh, in New York and in, in restaurants okay, and stuff like that. They will take your your yeah. name and phone number and stuff like that. So the contact tracing is mm-hmm. established there. Yeah. And that happened a lot when I was in Maine and stuff like that. But it's just not a universal thing from state right. to state. So it's uh, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see more, perhaps universal standards throughout the country. But you know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Anyways, and I think that brings us to our weekend news. I think no? so. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see what next week holds. Indeed. Indeed. I think it's been a great first episode of In a Flash. I can use that name. That's a great name. It's a good name. I like. I like Flash. We might. We might have to get. A, we might have to get a little flashy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling flashing is going to be uh, a motif oh, of the no. logo. A running joke. A uh, running joke. Yes. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's been great talking with you, Travis, and discussing the news. Absolutely. If you'd like. Always is, yeah. And, of course, we encourage everyone to go to the comments section of wherever you see this. You know, this will be posted on YouTube and Facebook and, of course, the podcast. So yeah. go into those comments sections. Let us know what you think. Do you like what we're saying? Do you like what we're doing? Do you like this format? We want to know. And, you know, if you have a, if a great comment or a question, in fact, you know, we might feature it later on in a future episode of the show. Perhaps there'll be a... You know, a letters section, so to speak, where we feature your comments and questions and might answer them here at, perhaps at the end of the show. Even a topical new news story. Indeed. Absolutely. Everything's topical here. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Fly to the skin. Topical. Anyways. And this has been our first episode of Been a Flash. I'm Travis Keys and you're David J. Murphy. And we're going to flash on out of here. We're going to zoom on out. <laughs> <laughs>